This morning our text is taken from Luke chapter 5. We will carry on from where we left off last week. Luke chapter 5, beginning at verse 17. Verses 17 through 26. Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said to him, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed. And they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, when you read through the first few chapters of the Gospel of Luke, then you might notice that the Holy Spirit shows us how Jesus slowly reveals bit by bit a little bit more about who He is and what he has come to do. In chapter 4, which is the beginning of Christ's ministry, the Jews thought that this man was just another rabbi. But they soon found out that he was no ordinary rabbi. We read that he healed many sick. In chapter 4, you can read about that. He healed Peter's mother-in-law from fever. He could cast out demons. And then at the beginning of chapter 5, he reveals himself as the Lord of nature even. He could command the fish in the sea. And Peter and John and James, they had their fish nets so full of fish that the boats were sinking. And then last week we saw also that the Lord Jesus was willing and able to 
reach through that barrier and touch an unclean man, something no one else could do. And that brings us to our text this morning. I have summarized the sermon this way. It's a little different than in your liturgy sheet. Jesus' authority to forgive sins offers us a challenge. In the second place, it frees us from hopelessness. And in the third place, calls us to respond. I'll repeat that. Jesus claims the authority to forgive sins. And his authority to forgive sins in the first place offers us a challenge. In the second place, frees us from hopelessness. And in the third place, calls us to respond. Our text begins by telling us that Jesus was becoming famous. He's been gaining a reputation, and large crowds were coming to him, and they were following him around. But you can be sure that they didn't all come for the same reasons. You can be sure that many of them just came for the entertainment factor. After all, it's not every day that you see a demon being cast out of someone. And others came because they believed in the power of Jesus Christ to heal them. And they brought their loved ones with them to be healed as well. And Luke also tells us that the Pharisees came, the teachers of the law. They came to see Jesus. Now this is the first time in the Gospel of Luke that the Pharisees are mentioned, and we would do well to pay attention to that. When we hear the name Pharisee, we often think of someone who's hypocritical, greedy, lacks a sense of justice, is overly concerned with the letter of the law, well, this is largely true, of course, because Jesus himself often accused the Pharisees of hypocrisy. But there's more to the Pharisees than just this. According to Jewish tradition, the history of the Pharisees goes all the way back to the time of Ezra, after the Israelites came out of exile. Their main goal was to keep the nation of Israel faithful to the laws of Moses. You see, after the exile, the leaders of the Jews, the religious leaders, they, they had come to the conclusion that it was disobedience to the law of God that had led to the exile in the first place. And so from the exile, right up to the time of Jesus Christ and into the New Testament, the Jews never again served idols, foreign idols. The exile to Babylon had thoroughly cured them of that. And it was during this time that the Jewish philosophy of strict adherence to the law of Moses was born, and the sect of the Pharisees as well. And it was the goal of the Pharisees to get the people to live such holy lives that the nation of the Jews would never have to fear another exile. They would never have to fear rejection from their God again. But in their zeal to prevent the people from sinning against the law and against God, they went too far. And they lost the real sense of the law, which pointed to the, the need for the renewal of their heart. They no longer bowed down to pagan idols, but instead they made an idol of the law. 
And to achieve that goal, they added numerous regulations to the law of Moses in order to cover every possible situation in life. For example, they added many rules to the law of the Sabbath. How far you could walk, what you could carry, how far you could carry it, how you were supposed to cook your meals, etc., etc. In this way, people would always have the possibility of obeying the letter of the law. For if you failed to obey one of those added regulations, at least you had not disobeyed the law itself. And so the Pharisees, they built a wall, a hedge, if you will, around the law to keep themselves and those who followed them safe from the wrath of God. And they established themselves as guardians of Israelite purity, guardians of the law. It was the law that was supposed to protect Israel. And now it's these Pharisees, these teachers of the law, that show up one day in town to listen and to check out this new rabbi. There was even some head honchos from Jerusalem there. You can be sure that it wasn't a friendly classes examination for a new student preacher, because this rabbi was not one of their own pupils. He was an independent, free thinker from, yeah, out Galilee way. And they wanted to make sure that he was not going to lead the people astray. Note well that they were sitting. These weren't eager rubberneckers vying for a good spot to see the action. No, this was a deliberate move on their part. It indicated a position of authority, a position of judgment, judgment, Judges sit on seats. They weren't coming for healing, but to protect the law. Luke adds one more thing here. The power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. The power of the Holy Spirit was on Jesus. The power that he had been baptized with, the power he had often prayed for, the Pharisees were witnesses that day of what the Lord was doing through Jesus. And so, in this gospel, Luke sets the stage for something powerful to happen. We have a standoff here. The new teacher is teaching in front of the professionals, and he's being watched very carefully. But then something unexpected happens. Suddenly, the roof above Jesus' head begins to shake and crumble. There's a trickle of dust coming down. And soon those inside can see light through the roof over an an ever-expanding hole. And the next thing you know, there's a bed coming down with a paralyzed man on it, right in front of Jesus. And all the people are watching. The crowd, the friends on the roof, the Pharisees, and the man on this bed looking up at Jesus with expectant eyes, What is Jesus going to do? Can he heal a paralyzed man? Boys and girls, wouldn't you like to be a fly on the wall in that house? All eyes are on Jesus. But he doesn't do what they expect. He doesn't reach out and touch this man. He doesn't lay his hand on him. He doesn't heal him. He doesn't rebuke the disease. Instead, he says, friend, your sins are forgiven. 
Brothers and sisters, here the Holy Spirit takes us straight to the heart of the Gospel. Jesus is fulfilling here the commission that He claimed for Himself in chapter 4, verse 18, that we read together. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Freedom for prisoners, release for the oppressed. Your sins are forgiven. You can imagine that some of those dignified Pharisees and teachers of the law came right out of their seats. What was that? What did he say? Jesus has just demonstrated to these protectors of the law that he is himself above the law. In the hearing of the experts of the law, he pronounces a judgment which the law cannot produce. And these experts rightly conclude that Jesus is claiming divine authority here. For who can forgive sins but God alone? They they got that part right. But they don't acknowledge it. And they don't even ask him to explain himself. As soon as they hear Jesus' words, they're ready with their judgment. He's a blasphemer. They knew the law thoroughly, but they used it in the wrong way. They made many regulations which were aggravating, but at least they could be fulfilled. And so they thought that they were able to gain their own righteousness. Anyone who followed these regulations scrupulously could conclude, God is satisfied with me. And this is precisely the problem with the teaching of the Pharisees. That kind of teaching gives you a false sense of security. The need to depend on God's mercy is no longer necessary. They thought forgiveness was found in obedience to the law. But now Jesus turned their world right upside down. In the eyes of the Pharisees, this paralyzed man was likely a sinner. Otherwise, why would he find himself in this situation? He certainly was, must have been someone who had not observed the law very closely. And so when they hear Jesus pronounce that his sins are forgiven, they are totally shocked. This is something impossible in their eyes, and they reject Jesus' authority. And that's what this confrontation with the Pharisees is all about brothers and sisters, the identity of Jesus Christ and His authority to forgive sins. When Jesus pronounces the forgiveness of sins for this paralyzed man, He wants more than just to win a popularity contest. He wants to be recognized for who He really is. He's not just a teacher or a healer. He's unique. He's none other than the divine Son of God and the only one who can forgive sins. And He has the divine authority to pardon sins. Just listen to Jesus' reply. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then He turned to this man and healed him. He didn't have to. He didn't have to do this to prove his authority. He had been healing people all day already. The evidence was in front of everyone's eyes. But the Pharisees wouldn't accept it. 
question before us today is, do we accept Jesus' authority? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of Man and the Son of God, and that He is not just a teacher or a healer, not just a very good person who lived 2,000 years ago, but the Son of Man who forgives sins? And do you believe that He is the only one through whom your sins are forgiven? Even the Israelites in the Old Testament had to believe in the promise of the Messiah for the forgiveness of their sins. The law couldn't save them, and the law does not save us either. Only Jesus has the power to forgive sins. Only Jesus is the way to our Father in heaven. There are not many paths, as most people think. Allah or Buddha, Mother Earth won't get you there. And you won't find true happiness by following them. But being a good person won't get you there either. No, brothers and sisters, Jesus is the only one in whom you can find rest for your souls, in whom you can find forgiveness of sins. He proved it to the Pharisees, and he proved it to this paralyzed man and his friends as well. And that brings us to our second point. Jesus' authority to forgive sins frees us from our hopelessness. The paralyzed man and his friends, they, they only had one goal in mind when they came looking for Jesus. They came looking for healing. They had heard that Jesus was in that house and that he was healing people there and they believed in and wanted to make use of his power, the power from God that was there for him to heal. They were a pretty determined bunch of friends. Luke tells us that they tried to take him into the house, but they couldn't get in because of the crowd. But this doesn't stop them. And they don't turn around. They come up with another plan. If we can't get through the door, we'll go through the roof. Now, many houses in those days had stairs leading up to the roof on the outside of the house, and the roof was flat so people could walk on them. And it probably would have consisted of a, a layer of mud and reeds or tiles over top of wooden beams. And these friends would have had to make their way up this narrow stairs with that bed. That would have been hard enough already. And once on the roof, they would have to remove this layer of dirt and reeds or tiles and then carefully lower their sick friend between the beams. It wasn't an easy job, but they did it. They might have even had to take a day off of work to get help for their friend. But they reached their goal, and now their friend will surely have a chance to have a normal life. Surely this effort is going to be worth it. And Jesus himself is even moved by their determination. You'll notice that he, Luke writes that when he sees their faith, he says to the man, your sins are forgiven. Now that answer must, must have seemed like a bit of a letdown to those men. That's not what they were expecting. That's not what they came for. In fact, if that's what they'd been looking for, they, they could have gone elsewhere. These were men of faith. As Jesus himself observed, surely they lived according to the law of Moses, 
Surely these faithful God-fearing men would have made sacrifices for their own sins in the temple. That's where they would have gone if that's what they were looking for. They came for healing. They had faith and trust in Jesus that he could do that. They believed in the power of God in him. They knew he could heal their friend. They came for a miracle. You see, brothers and sisters, how sin paralyzes us to such a degree that we don't even realize how bad things really are. This paralyzed man and his friends, they came to Jesus, perhaps not even fully aware of their greater need. And the same is true of the Pharisees. They don't see that their hearts need to be changed. And what about us? Do we see that as the greatest need in our life? Do you see that you are helpless and hopeless without Jesus Christ? Your greatest need is not to be healed from cancer or depression or some other kind of disease, anything that might be afflicting you. Of course, that doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't care about those problems. He proved that by healing all those people every day when he was busy in Galilee. But our greatest need, congregation, is to have our sins forgiven, to have your relationship with your Father in heaven restored. When Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, he shows that all the healing and cleansing from disease points to that greater miracle, the forgiveness of sins, because sin, after all, is the root cause of all physical ailments, isn't it? It's the curse of sin that is the cause of leprosy and paralysis. It's the curse of sin that is the cause of cancer and depression. It's the curse of sin that has destroyed all that is perfect. And what Jesus says to the Pharisees and to all who are listening to him is very significant. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He turned to this man and healed him. On earth. Did you hear that? Do you believe that your sins are forgiven here on earth already? For if Jesus does not have the power to forgive sins on earth, then how could your sins be forgiven eternally? Sometimes, sometimes we think that our sins are too great for Jesus to forgive. And there are days when we feel more forgiven than others. But that is due to the weakness of our faith. When we pray to God to ask Him to forgive our sins, do we really believe that He answers us? Or do we need to hear a voice or see a miracle before we will believe it? But brothers and sisters, we have the voice of God right here in His Word. And we have the Holy Spirit who dwells in our hearts for us to interpret that Word. Listen to that Word. Whoever believes in Jesus Christ will not perish but have eternal life. John 3, 16. And anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Romans 10. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
And again, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all righteousness, from all unrighteousness. Do we need to go on? The Bible is so clear on what Jesus can and is willing to do for you and for me. He has the authority to forgive sins, yours and mine. He can do it, and he proved it by healing the paralyzed man. See him walking again. Jesus said, arise, take up your bed and go to your house, and he did exactly that. He got up. He took up what he had been lying on, and he departed to his own house, glorifying God. His hopeless situation is completely reversed. He came in through the roof and he left by the door. He came in helpless and lying on a bed and he left carrying that bed with him. Praising God for what Jesus had done for him and he got more than what he expected. What more evidence do we need, brothers and sisters, that Jesus is able to free us from the paralysis of sin? What more do we need to be amazed at the authority of Jesus Christ. The crowd, too, was amazed at what they had seen that day. And that brings us to our final point. They all praised God. They said, we have seen remarkable things today. But Luke does not tell us that they reacted to what they had heard, namely the forgiveness of sins, nor does he tell us that they all repented from their sins and asked Jesus to forgive them as well. It seems as if they had just come to watch, to see what he could do. And they came to be wowed. And they got their money's worth. But many left it at that. The word remarkable is actually where we get our word paradox from. It's the word paradoxos. It means something abnormal. They saw something abnormal that day. Something contrary to common opinion. Something that exceeds expectations. They certainly couldn't deny that God was at work. And they didn't want to deny that either. They were amazed. They were filled with ecstatic delight. They stood in awe at the works of God it was a profound emotional experience. And Luke adds that they were filled with fear. They were actually alarmed at what they had seen. But they were compelled to give glory to God. Even the Pharisees were part of that crowd. But they did not pay homage to Jesus. They talked about what had happened, but it seems as if Jesus is suddenly ignored. They praise God, but not Jesus. Brothers and sisters, it takes more than amazement to have a right relationship with God and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Many people who were amazed at what Jesus did later shouted, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! In order to believe in the forgiveness of sins, you need faith, a sure knowledge, and a firm confidence 
that God has granted to us forgiveness of sins for the sake of Christ, for the sake of His work. And that congregation is the greatest miracle, and that is what should amaze us and fill us with awe. The crowd thought a miraculous healing would be so wonderful, so amazing. And it is. It really is. But if that's all Jesus could do, would we still have a real Savior to pray to? I'm sure you know the answer to that. Brothers and sisters, you can never walk away from the miracle of the forgiveness of sins in amazement and then just leave it at that. For the same Jesus who forgives your sins also rose to heaven where he is seated at the right hand of God and he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And if that Christ has the authority to forgive your sins, then you also owe that same Christ your allegiance and your love. And then then the law becomes for us not a, a ball and chain around our necks as the Pharisees would have it, but it becomes a way for us to live lives of freedom in Jesus Christ. It becomes a way for us to show our Savior how much we love Him because He forgives our sins. We may serve one God and Him alone. We don't need idols in our lives in order to be happy and content. We may honor His name and worship Him together, together with His people. And we don't have to love ourselves first in order to be happy, but we may love our neighbor as ourselves. That's what the miracle of the forgiveness of sins has accomplished for those for whom Christ died. And He gives us His Holy Spirit who lives in us and who makes it possible for us not only to confess this miracle, but also to live it. Amen.